Hey there, you're listening to the Faithful Business Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Schramm, and I bring over a decade of experience owning, running, and growing Christian organizations. And in this podcast, I want to help you become a more effective leader for Christ and serve your clients and customers well. Welcome to the show. Well, I'm super excited to share with you today an interview that I had with uh, a friend and a client of mine, Scott Neal. It was a great interview, a fascinating interview, telling his story about how he got started in business and his journey with the Lord and being a faithful business owner. It was an incredible discussion. So I'm going to get out of the way and I will introduce kind of what we're doing here and introduce Scott as well. I really, really hope that you enjoy. All right, Scott, thank you so much for joining me this morning. I appreciate you coming on. Well, I thank you for uh, allowing me to be here. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's just kind of get uh, started. Let's dive right in. Um, and, and for those of you who are uh, listeners to the podcast, this is something new that we're trying and, and doing. Um, I, I love to tell stories. I think stories are extremely important. And I have been over the past week or so and am planning to continue sharing a little bit of my story and my journey. And so you can kind of come along with me. And I thought it would be just really cool to hear from some other um, of people that I have been in contact with and that I have worked with over the years to kind of hear some of their stories too, uh, of, of how their life as an entrepreneur has been affected by their faith. And that's both their faith in, in God and also their faith really in themselves and their faith in um, the, the bigger cause, the greater cause for why they do business. And we all have those, I think. And um, I'm excited to talk about that with uh, with Scott this morning. So Scott, kind of the first thing that, that I want, this is kind of the most basic uh, thing here, is just tell us a little bit about how you came to know Christ. What's your faith background look like? <laughs> well, it's been a lifelong journey of uh, getting to know Getting to know Jesus better, <laughs> uh, right. but it all started. You know, I can't really remember a time when, uh, when I was without uh, a presence of, of Jesus in my in my life. Um, my the story I was told was is that my great aunt, who was the matriarch of our family, came to our house. My my, my parents did not go to church uh, when I was born. Uh, and uh, she came to our house when I was two weeks old, gave me a bath on Sunday morning and took me to church. Um, <laughs> and so, and that uh, I learned, I learned later from her that that was because she tended the nursery and that would give her quality time with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was one of the many women in my life. She had two sisters, my grandmother and another, another great aunt, uh, who, uh, who, and I was an only grandson for nine years. And, uh, and I tell people that you don't get life any better than that uh, ever uh, as being an only grandson. So anyway, so she took me to church and I made sure that I was there. Um, uh, it just seemed natural then. And I went through the, went through the nursery and the beginner department and the primary department and so forth. And, and it only became natural for me to express a profession of faith uh, you know, when I became, I think I was nine years old at the time or something like that. Um, you know, so, so, you know, it, it, there, there just never has been a time in my life when I have not been influenced by the teachings of Jesus. Hmm. 
Yeah, I can share a very similar story. I mean, for me, it was, uh, I was definitely, I was an only grandson for quite a while. So I understand that. Um, And to make it, to to kind of top it off, you know, my mom was a single mom. So I I, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and, you know, they, they spoiled me and they, they were kind of the ones in my life that always took me to church and you know, made sure I was there every week and that kind of thing. So I, man, that is awesome. That's, that's, that's very neat. Also, I mean, yeah, I, I think I uh, expressed a, a profession of faith at around four years old and it hasn't, it hasn't ended there. So that's, um, I don't want to ask how old you are now, but um, you're, you're a little more gray <laughs> on top than I am. I'm old. And uh, so that's, uh, yeah, that's a wonderful blessing. I, I think so many, uh, so I, I, you know, I work with people a lot who have gone through like these conversion experiences later in life. And I've just always been so thankful to the Lord personally that it happened early for me that I've just kind of always like that. I've, I've had the opportunity to grow that relationship with him over the years. So seems like uh, to me that you've been in a very similar situation. So the the yeah, yeah. C- transitioning kind of to what that means in terms of like okay so now you're a person who is in business you're in business for yourself you do um, lots of good things so let's let's hear about more of the different angles the different things the way that you serve people what is it that you do for business yeah so um, I do uh, well currently <laughs> and this is kind of a long story as well, but uh, uh, I started uh, started my career uh, after I got out of the army in 1979. So I'm, I'm kind of going to give away my age and I might as well tell you that I am 68 years old. But I, when I encounter people, I have a 17 year old son. And uh, and so I tell people that I only appear to be old. Um, so uh, it, it keeps me quite busy. So uh, what I have to offer to clients today, I started my career as, as a CPA back uh, in 1980 after I got out of the Army and, and um, uh, uh, worked for Deloitte uh, Consultant. They, they determined very quickly that my mind was not that of an auditor, and they, I, was, I was very thankful to God for that. And they, they moved me over to consulting where I thrived. But I, start, I had an entrepreneurial bent, so I wanted to start my own firm, and I did that. In 1986, I, I branched out totally on my own and uh, started a CPA practice, but I really had a heart for financial planning. And uh, I, that had developed when I was in the Army. Um, my, I think my boss's boss was a, a lieutenant colonel or something, and I was a second lieutenant, So he, he, and he noticed that I had an MBA in accounting. And he said, Scott, you can help me figure out, uh, uh, you can figure out the answer to my questions. And I said, yes, sir. <laughs> what is that? And uh, he said, he said, I have two daughters and they're, we're going to send, send them to the University of Maryland in, in, uh, in Maryland. And, uh, and, I have, um, and, and I have about two years left in the Army and you know how much money I make and what all my benefits are. So you can tell me how much I'm going to need to make when I get out of the Army to, um, to, to, uh, to maintain the lifestyle that we've enjoyed as, a, as an officer in the Army. Once again, I said, yes, sir, not having any idea about how I was going to do this. I was running the uh, computer center for the, for the division, and uh, he thought that I could probably program the computer to do that. I, built, I pulled out my business analyst, Texas Instruments Business Analyst 2 calculator and, and, and constructed a, and typed a report on a 
you're too young to remember IBM Selectric typewriters, but I typed it on the IBM Selectric typewriter. And I don't remember anything that was in that report, what, what the results were. I never I lost complete touch with him. So I don't know, but I do remember the look on his face when he read the report and the sense of peace that he had in reading that report. And so when I went to work for Deloitte, I said, you know, what I really want to do is financial planning. And they said, Oh, do what? Uh, and uh, so then when I went to work for a regional firm and I, I expressed that I wanted to do financial planning, I was going to branch out on my own and do financial planning. They said, uh, one of the partners said, well, how are you going to make a living? Are you going to become a stockbroker? And I said, heavens, no, I don't want to sell stocks. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, you're going to become an insurance agent. And, uh, and I said, uh, I said, no, I'm, I'm not going to sell insurance either. And he said, well, how in the world are you going to make a living? And I said, well, you guys have taught me how to charge fees for services. And so uh, back then, this was in the mid eighties, uh, back then fee only financial planning and fiduciary responsibility to clients was almost unheard of in the financial services industry. And that actually appealed to me to be kind of the odd person out. So, um, so that's, that's what I started building was a practice around, I held on to tax preparation for far too long. I, I gave that up in 1997. Um, and uh, that was, I, I claim I had a CPA this week um, who uh, was calling me for information uh, to file a, a tax return. And he actually sent me an email like at 1.30 AM on, on July 15th, because he was trying to get this tax return done. I didn't answer it right away because I was sound asleep. But he, he uh, when I called him back that next morning with the information, he said, or the, the, the uh, it was actually on the 14th, I guess, and he said, uh, he said, Scott, the, you were very wise in getting out of the, out of the tax business. And I said, well, I said, well, that's, you know, that I, I attribute that to be one of the best business decisions that I ever made was getting out of the tax business. So, and I started pursuing just financial planning and investment advisory services. So that's what I've been doing for the, since 1997 is building a practice around that in a fee only environment, fiduciary responsibility to clients. I coach toward goal identification. I coach toward achievement of the goals. Uh, I use particular models that, uh, that we've built or, or, or purchased. And, and uh, I, I create and manage portfolios. So our firm looks after the money of other people um, and uh, helps them with their investments. I consult on cash management, education funding, social security timing, uh, education savings. Uh, right now, I'm, right now I'm working on a, a webinar that is uh, late stage college funding. Remember, I have a 17 year old and, and we plan for one type of mm. school and he's all of a sudden decided that maybe, maybe, maybe NYU is where he wants to go to school. And, you know, I looked up the cost of NYU and I said, well, we're going to have to revamp the plan just a little bit. So, you know, and I've done that with clients before, so that's no big deal. I, I consult with people on Medicare, Medicaid, uh, uh, planning, uh, caregiving. One of my, one of my chief bents today is to help, help boomers who are taking care of their aging parent, um, uh, get through this without killing each other, you know, and, uh, so, and, you know, on the side, so, yes. so back, working back to 19, working back to 1980, 85, I had a couple come to me who were, um, I think he was in retail maybe. And I was in, um, and, uh, and she was a, a medical practitioner who was a medical doctor. 
and she was making about three times what he was making. And uh, that was totally lost on my young mind at that time. Uh, but he, he made the appointment. He said, we need a tax shelter. And back then, before the Tax Act of 1986, you could invest $10 and write off 100. Uh, so that made a lot of sense uh, with at their level of income. So I did the analysis and I presented my findings uh, in much the way, and I probably said it in much the same way that I'm gonna say it here to you today. And that is, um, well, sure enough, you could invest in a, you, you, could, you, you could benefit from a tax shelter, but where in the world are you gonna get the money to invest in a tax shelter because you're spending 120% of what you make? She looked at him sideways and said, well, we could first sell the Mercedes, sell the horse, and they proceeded to have a fight in my conference room. I thought they were gonna hit each other. And I, did, I had not a clue as to what to do. Uh, so uh, I went, I, and I, by the way, I never saw them again. Uh, I went back to, I went back <laughs> home that night and I said, God, I need, I need help here. The analysis was solid. The, you know, the, the presentation was, was a good presentation as much as we could do good presentations in 1985. But my, the way that I handled that uh, was very insensitive to their needs uh, as a family. And, uh, and so I said, I need help. And, and I boiled my educational, uh, educational options down to uh, social work, psychology, or pastoral care. And so in 1986, as I branched out on my own, uh, I was telling the partners I was gonna go do financial planning. In the same breath, I said, I'm also gonna go to seminary. And so I went to, uh, I, I, and, uh, and that, partner, that partner who said, asked me if I was gonna be a stockbroker said, are you going to be a preacher? <laughs> and I said, well, no, I don't think so. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sensitive to the call of God to, to serve others in a, in a more holistic way than we can by just simply reporting good numbers. Um, and so um, my first course at seminary, I had two courses that I, I tested out in the fall of 1985. One of them was the minister as spiritual director, which is a very Catholic concept. Uh, I was at Lexington Theological Seminary in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, hmm. uh, Disciples of Christ Seminary. Um, and just, you know, I was just kind of flo- throw- throwing out my fleece to, and uh, and being sensitive to to uh, to to my calling. And um, my other course was a New Testament course taught by a Jesuit from uh, I think he was from Australia or New Zealand or somewhere, and, and uh, just loved to hear him talk. But uh, first day of class, he said, "Class." you will be neither rewarded for your orthodoxy nor condemned for your heresy in this class. Better that you should practice both of them here than out there in the world. Hmm. And that made a lot of sense to me. And, uh, and so I was, uh, I was then uh, pretty well hooked. Um, and uh, the next course that I took was uh, the, uh, at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary over in Louisville. Um, Back in 1986, um, I took a course called Theology and Self-Understanding and uh, taught by a professor from North Carolina who came in for one semester and taught that course. And that was a life-changing course in and of itself. So anyway, so those are the things that I do and how I've gotten to where I am today. Today, I run the firm, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, but I work with, uh, work with a number of, uh, a number of clients. We work very collaboratively in our firm. So, um, uh, try to, try to, 
try to teach others what I know and I've been at it long enough now that I've made lots and lots of mistakes and learned lots of lessons. And, and, uh, so that's where we are. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh and one, so one other I, I thing is that. I'm teaching, I'm teaching my 17 year old how to drive. <laughs> so I'm oh. doing driving instruction. Oh my gosh. I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to teach four. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, here, uh, yeah. Yeah. What an interesting man. What what an interesting journey. What an interesting background. One of the questions that I was going to ask, which you may have answered for me when you when you kind of first started out, I was thinking, so was this kind of like um, financial coaching? And I mean, it seems to me like that there is that element to it, but there is more than that because you're actually handling finances for people as well. Right. Right. Yeah, we're doing we're you know financial planning is really all about identification of the client's goals and what they want to accomplish and you know i found the connection between that and and uh, and, uh, and and faith in the sense of just just some of the words that are used you know uh, you know you could substitute the promised land for goals <laughs> you know people you know and so coaching it coaching yeah. does come into play uh there's a you know, I like, um, I like, uh, I had a client who, who, um, she, uh, uh, well, uh, no, she was a good friend actually. And we, we never got together, uh, probably except for lunch. And, uh, and she was always coaching me. She was a master coach and, uh, and she had developed a model of, of moving people from doubt and fear to a, a life of love and trust. And that resonated very well with me. So I adopted a lot of her principles in terms of her coaching models. She, uh, and, uh, she, hmm. we lost a couple of years ago to a brain tumor, but, uh, she, she also led me a lot into, uh, thinking more about, uh, either or, uh, uh comparing a, an either or existence to a both and existence. And, um, uh, in uh, a little, uh, life. So she was, she was very instrumental. Hmm. Um, had another, had another mentor, um, uh, George Kinder. I met George late in the nineties and, um, uh, uh, he had developed a model of, and wrote a book called the seven stages of money maturity. And it was moving people from, from uh, a life of pain and innocence in, innocence in the form of naivete. Uh, and, and he said, we get locked into this pattern of, of repeating the stories that we've heard all of our lives and, uh, and, 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 and it causing us pain when mo most of those stories, uh, they may be just only half truths. Um, you know, a penny saved is a penny earned, you know, has, you know, those kinds of sayings that we've heard of from our parents, maybe, or grandparents about uh, money doesn't grow on trees and all of those things. Well, those are half truths. You know, they're, they're, they're at best, they're half truths. And they lead to, and, and latching onto those and holding on to those beliefs and, and uh, ideas really cause uh, a lot of emotional pain. That, that, that family that I talked about, the, the, the couple that I talked about first, you know, I, I, realized, I realized through, uh, well, through life experience and education that pain is pain, no matter how you, how you, uh, how you, how you, how it's inflicted upon you. Uh, pain is pain and you've got to process that pain. And that's, that's the reason I chose pastoral care over, um, over psychology or social work, uh, because uh, it, it is about uh, pastoral care and, and, 
I, I ended my ended my seminary uh, training. It took me it took me nine years to get a seminary degree. It was a ninety hour degree, and and the, <laughs> the last uh, the last the last uh, class that I took was clinical pastoral education at the University of Kentucky Medical Center, where I was a chaplain intern and uh, went to class every went to class every um, every Monday. Uh, so uh, and then I was on call one night each week. The 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 supervisor of, of CPE uh, told us there were four of us in the in this group, and uh, she told us that we we had to come up with a learning objective. And she said, you're here to learn and uh, you need to come up with a learning objective. And I said, um, and so and she said, it'll probably take a couple of months for you to develop your learning objective uh, to, to, uh, uh, to be able to uh, deliver, you know, to be able to practice pastoral care. And, um, and uh, so th that was on Monday. On Thursday night, I had my first night of on-call and I was asleep in the a resident's quarters uh, there in the hospital and the pager went off and I came back in the next uh, Monday and I said, well, I have my learning objective. And she said, uh, well, we're all ears, Scott. <laughs> you know, that was, that was pretty quick. And <laughs> yeah. I said, you know, when the beeper goes off, my learning objective is to have some other response other than, oh shit. <laughs> and she said, believe she said, wow. believe it or not, that's a pretty good, Believe it or not, that's a pretty good learning objective for a young chaplain. Uh, I wasn't young by that stretch. So, um, you know, so, you know, when the pager goes right, off, you right. never know what you're going to encounter. So anyway, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of rambling, um, but uh, I'm hoping I'm answering your question. Thank you. No, that's perfect. Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly what I wanted to see. Um, I, I, I picked up on a few things. It'd be, it'd be hard to go back to all of them, but um the one thing in, in what you said, especially when you were um, talking about being coached by those two different individuals was, it seems like a lot of what you have to do, and it just strikes me as uh, this is one of the key areas that growth comes from, is uh, questioning assumptions, things that you're raised to believe that oftentimes you find out that they're not True, like you said, those half-truths. Um, those will cause pain, and a lot of times they'll cause pain that people aren't even aware of until later on. Um, and it could, be, it could be pain that is, um, uh, like, they, it's, they, you know, people don't know what they don't know, right? I mean, if somebody grows up with the mentality that money doesn't grow on trees kind of thing, then they could eventually... Um, you know, even limit what their capacity of what they're able to, to, to bring in and produce for their family because they think it's just normal not to have any money or whatever. And, and so I, right. I definitely see right. how, how if you, if you don't question some of those assumptions, you know, you're not going to be able to grow. I've encountered that very thing um, over and over again. Hmm. I bet. I, I bet. So as I, um, you've already mentioned some things. I think, I think it's probably pretty clear to anyone who's listening to this right now that being a, being a Christian, being a, a man of, of faith has differentiated you from how many others deal with the same kind of 
business. I mean, you've used a lot of language and a lot of concepts. I mean, you even spent, you know, the course of nine years working on a seminary degree so that you would know how to better care for people in this process. So do you have any more to add uh, to that uh, about what differentiates you from others who do your same kind of work as a Christian business owner? Or do you think that that pretty much captures it? Well, I've always seen myself just very much as a, as an ordinary guy, uh, you know, I grew up in a, grew up in a very poor County of the, of the country, one of the poorest counties in the country and uh, went to a state school. And uh, before all of that, uh, but you know, one of the things that one of the things that I think my my Christian faith has 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 done for me is that it has focused me very much on the on the dignity of every person. Uh, you know, every person. You know, mm-hmm. the, you know the, the the common question in our business is what is your minimum investment size, and and <laughs> we've never had a minimum. You know, we don't, uh, we don't, uh, we, you know, we, uh, uh, you know, it just, it just seems like a foreign idea to me. You know, I, I want to get to, I, w- I want to get to what, uh, what are people's ultimate concern, you know, which is an expression of faith. That is, that's what, you know, that, mm-hmm. where, where do you put your, where do you put your trust? What will you bet your life on? Uh, and so, you know, being, having, having the training that I've had and having the experiences that I've had, uh, has led me to the place where I ask those kinds of questions. You know, one of the things that I learned through pastoral care that I didn't know when I met with that first, that, that couple that drove me to seminary in 1985, um, <laughs> was how to hold space for people. Um, you know, I, I, I just need, uh, you know, I'm a kind of guy that I like to get things done. I, I like your little, uh, your, your short podcast uh, on, on um, taking massive action. <laughs> you know, I am a, I am a person yeah. of action. And, and if there was, if there was one, you know, my true learning objective, it was never expressed as an objective, but one of my true learnings in going through clinical pastoral education was to, to, to develop the sense that I am not in control. You know, and and uh, you know, I knew that already, <laughs> but I had to be reminded of it uh, almost on a daily basis, and I still remind myself of that. That uh, that there's there's so much in this yeah. world that I am that I that I am not in control of, and will never be in control of, but God is, uh, and uh, and there therein is uh, rest my faith <laughs> that. Uh, Yes. And, and, yes. And, and, a- absolutely. I I don't know that. Uh, I mean, I, I you know sometimes you go through things and it's like, how do people do it? Like you wonder how how people um how you know how people make it through tragedy and make it through circumstances without without faith. And in a in a very real way, I kind of see the same thing in uh in business. I'm just kind of like, man, I I have this faith and trust that keeps me going but that faith and trust is not all in myself i know i'm flawed i i know that 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 i can't do it alone and so a big part of me knowing and continuing to do what i do in hopes of eventually um uh making it whatever that is right um is is just trusting uh in the lord and and really trusting in the journey and realizing that where I am right now is exactly where 
um, I should be. And that doesn't mean that wherever you are right now is where you should be. It, it just means that if you're if you're following the Lord, you're trusting the Lord, and you're making decisions based on your trust and based on the information that you have, I think that um, you're you're making decisions the best you can, along with you know being within the will of a sovereign God. Um, that's awesome. So wh- what what would you say is the biggest misconception that people have about let's say somebody wants to get into business for themselves is there a big misconception that people have about um, owning or or running your own business um i guess one of the one of the things that i've uh, seen and, and experienced is is that to believe that it is purely technical uh and not not primarily relational uh, business is ultimately a relational. Um, you're in a relationship with your, you know, major stakeholders, your clients, your customers, your uh, vendors, your, uh, and uh, and being sensitive to those. Hmm. Um, I would put ahead of the of the. Uh, I feel I feel as our firm is is very technically competent, but um, but to believe that it's primarily technical. And in the absent and the in the uh, uh, but with the uh, with the, the the notion that it's not also uh, equally relational is a is a misconception. Another one that I've that I've that I've rolled around, um, you know, I, I feel incredibly blessed that I'm able to do what I do and I've been rewarded appropriately for that. Uh, maybe maybe, uh, you know, it, it, my wife says, you know, she she likes to point out when we have a first world problem, uh, you know, that uh, that the dishwasher <laughs> isn't exactly working correctly or something like that. Um, but um, uh, you know, another 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 uh, thing that I wrestle with is do what you love and the money will follow. I've, uh, you know, I think that was the name of a book back in the '80s or '90s or somewhere back there. And uh, and I fear that that's a uh, you know that the, the people think that 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 that's all there is to it, and so I see a lot of young entrepreneurs pursuing uh, what they love, primarily you know maybe in the form of uh, the arts or or uh, you know creative kinds of uh, endeavors, um, and just and just hope that the money is going to follow. When in reality, you know, business is built around. Uh, making a profit and putting that, putting some of that profit back into the business. You know, I maintain that there's only five things to do with all the money that comes to you. And this is true, whether you're talking about business or whether you're talking about talking about individuals, you pay your taxes, you pay your debts, you save some, you give some and you spend the rest. And it all has to be allocated. All of the inflow has to be allocated to one of those five, uh, five places. And so, um, you know, what I want to do is I want to bring intentionality to those kinds of decisions. Uh, you know, my, one of my mottos is uh, uh, better decisions lead to better outcomes. And so if I can help, uh, if I can help someone make a better decision about that, or, you know, and, and listen for the, the, the misconceptions that people have about business, if they, you know, well, I'll just, I'll just uh, keep doing what I'm doing and, and hope, hope for the best. And hope is not, hope is good. And, uh, and I've, I've often said that we as, we as um, uh, pastoral care providers are purveyors of hope. 
and I like to look at the possibilities of what can happen and lead people to understand that. that. And what I found is, is that, you know, people, people, uh, people have a tendency to limit themselves more than they, more than the, perhaps they should. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That, well, you heard it from the, from the man right there. I mean, that is, that, I, I cannot agree more because I've been in this trap of like, yeah, just do whatever you want to do. And, um, you know, yeah, certainly the money's going to come down the road. Well, guess what? It takes a lot of work, um, uh, to be able to intentionally grow something. And I, I, personally if i can just speak to that for a moment it's kind of like there's this back and forth there's this tension and in a sense what we're doing right now i mean this very conversation and what i've been doing the past week is what i think what i sense is going to be a big part of the resolution of that tension for myself because um I, you know, I mean, uh, the work that I that I do, I, I'm in a couple different verticals at this point, um, but the the main kind of business work that I do is, as you know, Scott is in kind of the website design and marketing in that kind of world, and in that world, there's tremendous pressure to not only be somebody who's good at design or whatever, but there's a tremendous pressure to be an influencer of some sort. There's a tremendous pressure to have some sort of results that you can share with the world and to create podcasts and blogs and YouTube videos and, and 1,800 social media posts a week and all of these things that, that, that scream at everybody, you know, I'm an expert, I'm an expert, I'm an expert, listen to me. And, um, and, and so a lot of the time, my thinking in the past um, five years that I've owned this business, my, my thinking has, has been along those lines. And just quite frankly, it's, it's never really like worked for me. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's just, it's not, it never has, it never has felt right. And so what it's done is led to burnout, um, on those things, not burnout on doing the work, but, but burnout on trying to be, you know, an expert. And it's not that I don't know anything. I think I know quite a bit, but like, I, I don't, I've, I've realized that I don't have to be like the next, you know, whatever, Tony Robbins or whatever you want to say, right. In order to like make an impact on, on people's lives. And, um, the other thing that I'm learning with that is that when it comes to those things, people are so much more interested in stories. People are so much more interested in mm-hmm. where you've been yeah. and and obstacles and, and experience. And so um, rather than thinking about experience in terms of, you know, how many times have you helped a client 10x their business? Or, or you know, how many times have you, have you gotten to speak on stage in front of thousands of people? Um, who's, who's to say or... Who gets to say that that kind of experience is any more valuable than the experience of, of the guy who is just starting out or is only five years in? Um, actually, and this is this uh, one of the reasons that I'm coming to this kind of 
way of thinking. I just started following somebody who I probably should have been following for five or 10 years now. And um, frankly, I've, I've resisted it because I see his ads everywhere. And I know that the minute I get into this guy's world, uh, I'm going to be flooded with his advertising. And that is exactly what has happened, but I don't regret it, um, is, uh, is Russell Brunson. And uh, Russell, for those of you who I don't know, um, he is the founder of ClickFunnels. It's a software company that uh, helps you build sales funnels. And he's been pretty big in the internet marketing world for quite some time. And um, so I started uh, taking in some of his content and listening to him. And so what he, uh, and, you know, just full transparency, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of modeling him at the moment because um, when he started his podcast, you know, he had resisted for quite some time. And when he started it, he said, I'm going to have to do it in a way that I, I know that I'll actually do it. So he started recording a podcast in his car and he called it marketing in your car. And, um, I was like, you know, (laughs) back then. Yeah. Right. He started in 2013 and back then it wasn't like now where you can just pull out the anchor app on your phone, record a podcast and literally in 10 minutes time or less, your podcast is in the distribution channels. Like it's, it's crazy. I mean, for him back then, he would have had to record the audio on his phone and then probably upload it to Dropbox. And then the VA has to grab it or maybe a personal, you know, an actual assistant, a physical assistant has to grab it and then add audio to it and then upload it to the, you know, this, this whole big process. Whereas now it's literally like 10 minutes and, and, and what he started the podcast and, Again, I just think this is so important. He started the podcast right after, and you don't learn this until like way later on, but he started the podcast right after one of the biggest disasters in his business where he had to lay off over 80 people at Christmas time. And like he, he had made a huge mistake and he just started it. He was like, he was like, I know in retrospect, you know, people are thinking, you know, pe- people hear this story and it's like, gosh, what an awful time to start a podcast. Like you're supposed to be this expert. Um, but he said, no, no, it, it's been the exact opposite. Like I have shown people that you can rebuild. I mean, now ClickFunnels is a hundred million dollar a year plus company. I mean, he's, he's one of the biggest success stories that, is alive on earth today. And he's also a faithful business owner for what that's worth. Um, but uh, it's kind of like uh, what he says too, is that, man, I wish I had started when I first really got into this thing 15 years sooner. Like I wish I'd been recording a podcast all along so people could see the growth and they could, they could see the change. And, um, and so that's kind of the, the model that I'm, I'm working towards right now is just, you know, I want people to get a sense for where I am now because that's going to resonate with people who are in the spot that I am. I think we're all tired of hearing about how you can, you know, work four hours a week, live on a beach in Cancun for the rest of your life while some team does all the work for you, uh, back home working 24 seven. I'm sure that happens for some people. Um, but as an, entre- as an entrepreneur, that's not even the life that I want. I love what I do. I love working. I love tinkering in different projects and stuff. And, um, and so it's, about, it's more about the journey than the destination. And so I think that's maybe a good corollary, Scott, to what, to what you were talking about, about how it takes intentionality and it, it, takes, it takes belief, but it takes work beyond belief. Um, 
and I think that's so true. And I think that if I was to, to say one thing in, in concert with that, it would just be to enjoy the journey and don't take the journey for granted. Don't wait until the journey becomes whatever you've made the arbitrary destination in your mind to start sharing it with other people. You'll be a lot more interesting if you just share stories and tell other people what's going on. Um, 90% story and 10% content is probably, well, let me say it this way. 90% story, 9% content, and 1% sales. So that's probably my business model going forward. <laughs> you know, like, like because, yeah. because oftentimes what you'll find is the story does all of the selling for you, but it doesn't feel like selling. It just feels like being a genuine person. Um, and especially somebody being in the technology industry, um, it's really easy, really easy. Let me say it again. It's really easy to be fake um, to, in, in these days. And so more than ever, people need to see something genuine about us. And I think that's going to create that relationship. Like you said, business is about relationships. Um, being real with people, I think, is what's going to create that trust and, and create that relationship moving forward. Um, all right, man, this is going so well. I love this. This is a great, this has been a great conversation so far. I, I just have a few more questions for you, Scott, and, uh, and we can, uh, and we can roll on here. So, um, a lot of times, uh, business owners tend to have a morning routine or a daily routine of some sort. I know I do. Do you have anything like that that kind of keeps you going on a regular basis? Uh, I do. And when I, if I, if I, if I miss it, um, Everyone around me knows it. <laughs> they don't. They don't know why uh, the, that I am the way that I am that day, but they know. Uh, they know that something is amiss with Scott's life. Yeah, I. I, uh, I get up about five. My my, my chief uh, ritual is the morning ritual, and that's that's up at five forty-five. Uh, one of the best investments that I ever made for myself was to buy a treadmill to put in my house, and uh, so I go to the basement. Uh, exercise and drink some water, and then uh, I make the coffee every morning. So I've, I've got the coffee brewing while I'm on the while I'm on the treadmill. Um, have breakfast. I have uh, my personal hygiene time. I've got uh, I, I do a goal review of uh, of the goals that I've set for myself, um, and then I, I try to do a 30 minutes of writing or journaling um, and uh, and or and or reading. Um, uh, start asking, start asking myself questions. Um, uh, one of the, one of the, I got this from somebody, um, uh, Victor Frankel is one of my, one of my, one of my, uh, balcony people as, uh, Carlisle Marnie would have called him. Uh, he's, he's one that I, that I lean on a lot. And, uh, so I like his question that I start with every day. If I could, this is before you go out into the day, if I could live today over again, I'd, and just just fill in the blank. Uh, what would I do? Uh, uh, where would I go? Who would I be? And so forth. If I could live wow. today over again. So that that usually culminates my morning my morning ritual before I, I head into the office to do whatever it is that I'm going to do that day to to uh, to meet the, the needs of others. What a powerful question. Uh, you know, I also have yeah yeah. I've got some other other routines that you know I am a I'm a I'm a fairly uh, uh, I started to say uh, routinized. I don't know if that's even a word. 
uh, routinized person. Uh, you know, I do follow, I do follow some, you know, I, I've crafted my ideal day, which contains those things and going into the office and what, what times of day I meet with clients and what times of day I'm available to focus on, on what I, what I need to focus on to get, uh, get the work done. So, yeah, I be, I'm a big believer in having, having routines and rituals in your life. Uh, you know, um, the guy that wrote the, uh, the book, all I needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. Uh, can't remember his name now, but hmm. he, uh, he had another book, uh, the rituals of our life. And, uh, that was back. I read that book, but gosh, back in the, back in the nineties, probably. And, uh, it was, it was a very good book. Huh? Okay. That's intriguing, intriguing right there. All I need to know, I learned in kindergarten. I'm going to have to read that. That sounds pretty good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Great. I, I no, think the morning yeah, routine. Remember I'm old, old, you know, so a lot of, a lot of the, yeah, a lot of the <laughs> books that I'll refer to were, were, uh, or long ago, I've got a got a pretty extensive library. And, and uh, uh, anyway, yeah, that's Robert, Robert Fulgham. Robert Fulgham was the guy's name. Beautiful a little senior moment. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay, I'll have to check that out. Um, very good, very good. What's your favorite thing about about being a, a business owner or business leader? Uh, well, I have to say it's serving other people. You know, I have a call to service. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's going back to that story of the, of the Lieutenant Colonel, uh, seeing a sense of satisfaction on his face, um, and seeing the peace of mind that he had, um, you know, um, once again, Victor Frankl says one of the ways that we get to meaning is even in the face of extreme suffering. And a lot of people come to us with, with money pain. Uh, you know, they're, they, they've got decisions that they have to make and they're experiencing anxiety about the decisions about which way to go. And, and in today's complex world, those are, are, are so numerous, but uh, even, even he says that we find, you know, that one of, one of the ways that we find true meaning in life is to uh, is even through the moments of pain and suffering uh, that we find some transcendence, we find some, growth opportunity and hmm. uh, you know at my age i've uh, you know i love the word senescence i am i am a senescent uh, you know what an adolescent is an adolescent is the person who moves from from being a child to being a, a uh, an adult uh, well there's a transition period between adulthood and elderhood and i'm stuck right in the middle of that right now and that's called senescence and so um what i've what i've come to realize over the years is that elderhood is also a developmental stage and we have the opportunity for growth. And, and that caused me to realize that everyone, everyone has the ability and the opportunity for growth and development. And that's, and according to Frankel, that's one of the, the chief ways that you find meaning in, in life. And, uh, and so that's why that's, that's my favorite thing about being in this business uh, and well, about being in business, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I don't know any other business. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, uh, but that's my favorite. That's my favorite thing about, about this one. It's uh, the, the serving, serve, serving other people in that way. Um, had an instance uh, recently where uh, someone was going to enter into a transaction. They were going to lend money to, I don't remember if it's a family member or, and, uh, and so, um, you know, we, we, we 
we walked through all of the parameters of, you know, they, they needed to create a note and they needed to do this. And, you know, we calculated the amount of the payment and all that sort of thing. And I said, I said, let me ask you a question. Uh, you said that this person is very important to you, that, uh, that the relationship has deep meaning for you. You know, she had, she had told me that in, in several different different ways uh, she hadn't come right out and said those words but I perceived that that she really really was uh, uh, that it was really a, a, a good relationship I said have you have you um, have you talked about with this person have you talked about what will happen if this if this doesn't work out the way that you think it's going to work out and the way that he thinks it's going to work out and uh, she said, no, I hadn't even thought of that question. You know, what impact will it have on your relationship? And so, um, you know, they went back and had that conversation as a result of my question. And, uh, you know, I derived a great deal of satisfaction knowing that they had talked about that and uh, because the, the deal could go bad. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a risky, it was a risky proposition, I guess. So anyway, yeah. those are my favorite things. No, that's that's perfect. Yeah, that that's absolutely perfect, and that's an important thing that that triggered something in my thought process. Of um, a lot of times, you're you're we get caught up in um, um, the the curse of being an expert. I forget that the, the actual terminology is kind of slipping me, but the curse of knowledge, um, the curse of knowledge, and, and so it's kind of like you know we we know these things. Like that's a whenever I'm looking at a new business. Um, venture where it's going to involve some sort of partnership right that it's like the that's that's the first question that comes to my mind is okay like because it's usually with somebody that you have some rapport built with you know that you're going to enter into that kind of that kind of thing and uh it could be a family member it could be a close friend and so the the, the chief question for me is you know if this thing goes south how is the relationship preserved or right, or right. or if this thing if this thing goes really really well and then because it's going really really well something happens that makes it start to go south you know how do we how do we make sure that above all else the relationship is preserved because the relationship is the most valuable thing um god gave us the gift of relating to one another and and i think frankly that in in some ways i've never put it this way before but i i think it's probably true that uh, there's nothing more valuable than a relationship in general, um, you know, a relationship with God, a relationship with other people. Um, there is no amount of money. There is no idea. There is no business. There is no, um, I can't imagine anything that's more important than preserving a great relationship um, because of how powerful they, they are. So I think that's a, that's very important. Um, and uh, I love, it makes sense to me that that's your favorite thing. Um, I think that's, that's beautiful. All right. I have just a, one last question for you here, Scott. And that is, uh, what's your favorite Bible verse? Do you have a favorite Bible verse, especially one that informs business or, I mean, life informs business. So if the Bible verse informs life, then that's good too. Just, uh, well, yeah. What's your thought there? Well, you've, you referred to hearing stories as uh, as the as uh, as a journey or the the journey of life, and you have referred to that numerous times. And so it's it's interesting that uh, that you do that to me because one of my favorite verses is Hebrews eleven eight. Uh, By faith Abraham obeyed the call to go out to a place destined for himself and his heirs, and and he left home uh, left home not knowing where he was going. Um, you know, so 
that's that's one of my favorites. That's been one one of my favorites for a long, long time. And uh, wow, and so, that uh, can I let me just know, stop you right there? Like, I don't think I have ever heard Hebrews eleven ever quoted as like a favorite Bible verse. But but that is <laughs> amazing. Like, I never thought of that. But I mean, you're talking about like literally, like I mean, Abraham, the friend of God, and and. and the biblical admonition of this man for his faith. I might have a new favorite verse. I mean, that, that is <laughs> incredible. Um, yeah, that's, that's incredible. Uh, sorry. I'll, I'll let you, yeah, go ahead. Finish what you were going to so, say there. So, yeah. So, so I do have one more and, and, uh, from the old Testament and, and that would be Micah six, eight. Uh, mm-hmm. and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Hmm. And mm, that, yeah. that, that one, yeah, I, I go back to that one, um, you know, when, uh, when I'm, uh, when I'm confronted with what do I do next? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> How am I going to handle this situation? Absolutely. And that's, uh, man, that's a beautiful question to ask and a beautiful verse that uh, will help you answer it. Well, look at Scott. I, I just, uh, you, you've been so generous with your time today. You know, thank you so much for, for coming along and spending a few minutes with me and, and telling your story. Um, before we finish out here, you know, do you have anywhere that you'd like to send people, anywhere that people can get in touch with you for either, you know, the services you offer or, uh, or just whatever? If you want to share something, feel free to. Well, my my, my um, got a couple of websites, but uh, I guess primarily to D as in David, D Scott Neal N E A L dot com. D Scott Neal dot com. That'll that'll take you take you to, to different places, but uh, I guess right. I would leave with with one thought, and and that is I think I got this from uh, Dante, <laughs> um, uh, and. Uh, in his will is our peace, is um, kind of my motto. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And right now we live in a world that needs peace. It needs right. peace. Yeah. It needs hey. peace. All right. That's, that's wonderful. Hey, thank you. Thank you again, a hundred percent for your, for your time. It's, it's been excellent, Scott. And, um, yeah, so, uh, check out, check out Scott's work. It's obvious that he's passionate and excited about his business and, um, and experienced. He's been, he's been doing it for uh, a few years uh, longer than, than I've been on this earth. So he knows his stuff. And, um, I, uh, I just, yeah, I want to commend you, Scott, for your, for your faithfulness to the journey and for, uh, those wonderful stories you told. If we had three hours, I'm sure that you could tell even more. Um, but, uh, I think it's evident to see God's faithfulness and God's will working in your life. So thank you so much. Um, with that, we're going to go ahead and, uh, and close it out. And uh, I wish you, uh, God's blessings and everything that you, uh, that you're doing now and those things that you continue to do on into the future. Thank you, Steve. All right, child, I hope you enjoyed that. Listen, if this is something that you're interested in um, doing and coming on the show, talking about your story, I do have some availability to get that down on the calendar. Just um, reach out to me at uh, faith-fullbusiness.com. There'll be a big button there where you can go and schedule uh, your time 
to be interviewed and discuss what uh, what business has been like for you. So if you uh, enjoyed this and think that you have something valuable to share in your story, then I would love to see that. And uh, if you think it's a good idea that we're doing this, um, then share it with people and uh, definitely try to get some more people listening to the show on a regular basis and give them the encouragement and inspiration they need to be faithful business owners as well. God bless you. Thank you so much.